right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Mondays Down South. We got the usual trio on. Got a lot to talk about this week. Um, uh, you know, the quarterback carousel continues in the NFL. We are about at the end of it, though. I think only a couple of open spots left. We'll talk about that. Um, March Madness over the weekend. First weekend is in the books. A, uh, a challenging weekend for the MDS boys. At least it started off a little rough there from, uh, from a bracketing and betting perspective. Um, got a little baseball offseason moves as we as we come up on opening day, so quite a bit to talk about. But I guess I'll kick it off, kick it over to you guys, and maybe just touch on the weekends, what we were doing for the for the games. Obviously, Cy was Cy was up in New York, so we got some stories from from that weekend. But uh, what do you guys have to say for yourselves? I hear about how y'all's were. I mean, I I can't wait because I'm hearing this for the first time pretty much just like the viewers. But you guys had a, a crazy weekend. Maybe just to quickly dive into mine. Beautiful, uh, beautiful weekend in Charlotte, you know, 75 degrees and sunny. Just spent really the weekend day drinking with some friends, um, watching the games, uh, kind of like speculating, doing some live betting here and there. But overall, just really fun, enjoying the enjoying some nice sunshine, getting some uh, getting some sun to the skin there beforehand. You know, I, I pretty much blended straight in with Evan's uh, sweatshirt, so it was good to get some color. <laughs> And, uh, but yeah, overall, great weekend um, in the Southeast, but I'll kick it over to you guys. How was New York? Um, I guess I'll, I'll pick up. I, uh, impromptu, decided to make a trip up to the North for anyone uh, listening and, and viewing that are New York peeps next time. Please feel free to reach out and uh, we'll have to tag up. But Ev lives up there. Our boy Manahas, or Zach likes to call him, Muscon lives Muscon. up there. Uh, we got a couple other buddies up there, so I just figured it'd be a good time with MDS in mind and with March Madness in mind to make a trip up. So I took a, um, a bus up on uh, Thursday night, I believe it was, and I got in a little late, and then Evan and I caught the night games. Uh, we met some cool people up there that lit, actually we went to a bar near his place, uh, an Irish bar. It turns out it was a Maryland bar. So we met some peeps that went to University of Maryland, so that was pretty cool. Um, however... The real thing that I think we should talk about this weekend that was probably the most um, entertaining and also the most relevant to our podcast is Evan and I, um, well, between the brackets and everything and hanging out with uh, Muscan or Manhas, decided we'd go to a bar to watch um, the Michigan State game after we had dinner Friday night. And this was their opening game when they played uh, the, orig the original game. And they were playing Davidson and we decided to just go to a bar. And... Anyone that knows me and knows my affinity for college basketball, Michigan State is the team that I, outside of my Gamecocks when we're relevant, is the one that I root for the most because I'm a huge Izzo fan. I mean, my bracket name is literally in the Izzo. Like, I, I do that every year. Uh, I'm a huge fan. And we walk into this bar that's actually super popular in New York City, according to our local peeps. And little do we know, this just happens to be New York's, or at least – in the uh, southern region of New York's Michigan State Bar. So we had no idea, but we walk in, and it turns out, like, this place is just packed with Michigan State people, or at least more so than a usual bar. And there's a woman there handing out a bunch of Michigan State stuff. So, E, I'll let you take over from there, because I prefaced it, I think, as well as I could. And uh, you can kind of let them know how that went. So we were right next to that, the, I guess, head of the chapter or whatever, that was handing out all this stuff, like trying to hand out babe tags and like pom-poms and all that kind of t-shirts and stuff. So I think she needed a model for her, the t-shirt she was trying to sell. So naturally someone from our squad, no, no affiliation to Michigan State, throws on the t-shirt, you know, and, you know, acts, acts as if uh, an MSU kind of alumni being the model for the t-shirt. And then, you know, basically the whole squad just kind of ran with it, was handing out name tags. Like, we all had name tags on, MSU, class of 16, um, <laughs> just, like, acting the part. We played the part so well. We convinced the alumni very much that we were alumni. And as a result, we're given free shots. We, uh, like I said, had free uh, – like, we had these name tags. People – we start, we were starting go green, um, go white <laughs> chance, and people were all in, like, we were getting – the bar to chant it with us so people fully bought that were Michigan State graduates. There's a March Madness um, you know obviously the first two rounds have been played um, we have our sweet 16 opponents out of the initial round of 68 here down down to 16. Um, maybe I'll kick this over to you guys what were some of your favorite games or, or you know matchups and then uh, maybe we can segue into out of the 16 teams that are currently still in play which team do you feel more confident in than ever 
to win the championship based on the seeding and based on how they play these first two games. So, Eva, without further ado, I'll kick it over to you and, and get your input here. That's a lot to unpack. Obviously, from uh, <laughs> from from the first night, obviously the one that stands out is St. Peter's. Um, Kentucky, not just any two seed, really. A lot, a lot of people had uh, had Kentucky in their Final Fours in their championship games, winning their championships. So, to see a, a school that um, I had never heard of so much that we were Googling where it was from. Turns out, right across the river here in, in Jersey City, um, to be able to knock off Kentucky, a really talented Kentucky team, was, I mean, obviously an absolute shocker. And then Iowa. Um, Iowa was another team coming off that Big Ten championship win that had a lot of helium and some kind of a sleeper Final Four team. For them to come out completely flat and just look awful offensively, like completely static, like no – no ball movement really didn't they just did not look like the solid offensive team that everyone expected so those are the two shockers from the first day and I guess before I jump to my kind of projections for next weekend I know you guys have others maybe from the Friday games or yeah I'll go ahead uh, I'll go ahead Zach we gotta pat ourselves on the back here for uh, UNC because I wouldn't call it a shocker since I think both of us predicted it however wow I mean maybe we could call it a shocker given how how dominant they were, at least for three-fourths of the game against Baylor after winning their first-round game um, pretty pretty convincingly, if I remember correctly. And then the Baylor game, they were up 25 against the defending national championships champions of Baylor in an extremely athletic team and a team that very well um, a lot of people picked, you know, in their Final Four as well. And UNC came out and just obliterated them up front. And, I mean, they were up 25 with about 10 minutes left. And then this is maybe one of the little causes of concern is the fact they blew a 25-point lead. And that is obviously not a good thing. However, in their defense, um, and I'm not making excuses for it, but they did lose the guy that had 30 points for them at that time in their stretch four and also lost one of their main starters in a guard, um, one through an ejection, the other one from fouling out. And then they blew the lead, but ultimately in overtime pulled it out. R.J. Davis played out of his mind. He, that was so fun to watch. Such a great um, game at the end of it. And I just really enjoyed um, watching that and having UNC in my Elite Eight. That made me feel real good with the results of some of these other other games. So that's one that I would point to. Um, I also think, uh, you know, the San Francisco game was one of the more fun ones I think we watched this weekend. Uh, Evan and I were watching that Thursday night out. They were so close to pulling that out. And unfortunately, uh, just missed the ball, but per usual, they hit a huge hot shot like you would expect in a lot of March Madnesses one into overtime. So that was a fun one for me. Um, I think I've kind of hit the nail on the head in, in terms of disappointments or, or teams you, or you weren't expecting to lose and uh, kind of the shocking victories from the lower seeds. And maybe Michigan's the one other one that I'll throw out there. But I'll let Zach kind of take over and, and let him uh, let him give his synopsis. Yeah, normally they say in March Madness, the teams that are hot have a tendency of doing really well in the tournament. Um, and statistics, you know, certainly show that. But you look at the conference winners, uh, Iowa and Virginia Tech coming out of the eight, or Big Ten and ACC, respectively, um, kind of getting caught to sleep a little bit. Um, and I even remember, you know, because I was following, you know, I follow uh, Virginia Tech social media um, or athletic social media on Instagram. And they spent a lot of time covering the celebration tour of winning the ACC championship, which, hey, I'm all here for is the first time we did it. Um, and the, the whole, you know, university kind of stepped out and showed support, but they, they had a tendency of kind of gloating on that, on this high. And I even turned to some of my friends in Charlotte that also went to Virginia Tech. And I was like, are they, you know, are they actively preparing for the NCAA tournament? Because the season's not over. And, uh, sure enough, they got caught to sleep. Iowa got caught to sleep. Um, so, you know, just kind of an anomaly of the normal case you hear of really hot teams staying hot in the tournament and advancing, um, however, I will want to I want to give a shout out to the University of Houston, which is playing with two starters that are out for the season due to injury, and uh, they are balling out. They are creating havoc for these teams like Illinois, which you know stereotypical good guard play, and they've got Kofi down low, and they just totally shut him out. Um, so major props to the city or to uh, the University of Houston for not really being in a, a credible conference, but dominating opponents in, in the big fives or the power five, I should say. So wanted to give him a shout out too. But, uh, but Ev, I guess switching it over to you, if you could pick one of the Sweet 16 teams um, that is, I guess, most favorable based on what you've seen, based on the current seeding, 
who you got and, uh, and explain why. I'm going to go Kansas. Like Kansas gets Providence. Providence has been playing well. Um, and I actually, I liked Kansas coming in as maybe a year they won't choke. So I like the, the setup for them to make the final four and beyond, um, given who they get to play compared to others and how they're playing. So um, I'm going to go that one. I have another one, but I'll let you guys go as to not potentially steal steal one that you, you wanted to mention. What's funny is I was going to say Kansas, and I felt good about that because I picked them as my national champion in all of my brackets given, um, you know, I just kind of felt like they looked like a very complete team this year, weren't too reliant on one player, uh, very well-rounded team, was excited about them. But I will say, obviously, there was a level of tentativeness there given um, the affinity for Arizona that a lot of people had, the affinity for uh, teams like uh, um, teams such as Gonzaga and others. However, I really, pre- I really like what Kansas has done so far, and I think they look really solid. I think they had a close game in the round of sixty, uh, round of uh, thirty-two, but they pulled it out, and I'm very happy with them. So I've already hit the nail on the head with that one. However, I will say I know I just talked about them. Even though they let Baylor come back um, as an eight seed, UNC has a really good shot at this point to to get to the Final Four. Um, I'm not saying it's going to be easy, but they're in the conference that I believe lost was are they're in the they're in the Kentucky side if I remember correctly right I yeah don't wanna, they are I don't want to mix it up they're on the Kentucky side um they got a real shot at, at, at making some strides here because they just beat the one seed the two seed already lost um and they played pretty convincingly for most of I would say you know three four quarters of the last game and their full game the game before so for all we know UNC could make a real run at this thing and they have the talent to do it um and they're about as hot as anybody could be so don't sleep on the eight seed to go win it all this year, too. Man, I'm going to go ahead and stay in that in that same division, which is the South Division, I believe. And uh, and I'm gonna actually going to stick with uh, with my Final Four team. Actually, the team that makes it to the championship and the only bracket I created, but Purdue. Um, really like what they're doing so far. They've got a great matchup against St. Peter or, or St. Pete. Uh, or what is it, St. Peter's or something? I don't even know what the university's called, but I just know the spread's 12.5, and I'm crushing that minus 12.5, to be honest. The thing that I love about Purdue is they shoot an incredible amount of free throws um, because of their two big guys inside, uh, one of them being Tyson Williams, who played his heart out last game. And then they also got Jaden Ivey, um, who, in my opinion, is one of the most electric college players that I've seen in the last three, four years. Um, he plays a lot like uh, De'Aaron Fox, but he's got, he's got almost more mobility and he's just, he's so elusive and, and he was great in clutch time against um, kind of a tough, you know, Texas Longhorn team um, that I think a lot of people slept on just because of their early exits under the, the Shaka Smart era. Um, so I'm going to go Purdue here. And, uh, and I think given the, in- the key injury to that UCLA player, I think his last, his like, last name is like Jaquez or something, but he's like one of the leading scorers. Um, you know, if, you know, UNC gets by them, I think the UNC-Purdue matchup is going to be great. But uh, I think Purdue is favored over UNC or UCLA at this point. Um, so I'm going to go with them. And then, uh, Ev, what, who's your other team? I'm curious. I wanted, I wanted to mention Duke as well, um, because Duke obviously has arguably more talent than anyone in the country. Um, they've beaten Gonzaga before. Um, the question coming into the tournament was that they really weren't playing – particularly well offensively or defensively. So it's like, which team is going to show up? Plus you have the Coach K element in this final season, which was that going to add more pressure? But the way they closed that Michigan State game um, on, I guess, Sunday, they played championship basketball down the stretch there. Defensively, they played through Boncaro, who finally got aggressive there offensively. So if they play like that, they can win the title. Now, granted, they have a really difficult draw. Texas Tech won't be easy. Duke's actually an underdog in that game, which is mm-hmm. – I don't know why. Um, I mean, Texas Tech's a good team, but I think Duke should be favored. Um, and obviously, they're going to have to beat Gonzaga again unless uh, unless Gonzaga gets upset. So, it's not an easy draw. So, uh, you know, obviously, I don't expect them to win the title. But the way they played down the stretch at Michigan State was finally, I feel like, the Duke team that we saw earlier in the year that beat Gonzaga and that you kind of expect to see with the talent. So, if they keep playing like that, they're going to be – kind of, you know, super dangerous as well. Actually, I want to touch on that real quick. That was an incredible game, that Michigan State-Duke game, up until maybe the last minute or two of that game where Duke um, finished strong. That was a back-and-forth, back-and-forth game, and both teams played amazing. So um, they both deserve a ton of credit for the way they played. Michigan State literally gave Duke everything they could and then some. I mean, that had to have been one of Michigan State's 
best games of the season as well. I mean, they were matching Duke's talent shot for shot the entire game. And I think on any other night, Michigan State, if they played that way, could have beaten that team or beaten anybody in the conference or in, in the uh, country playing that way. But that goes to show the point that Evan made because the way Michigan State played, you would think they would have won that game. And yet, even with them hitting shot after shot after shot after shot, Duke was making crazy plays left and right where I was just like, I, I kept watching them make like crazy left-handed drives, you know, getting man ones and big moments. Um, and it was just too much for Michigan State. And, and I, I agree with that. I'm not a Duke fan by any stretch of the imagination. Not a team I usually root for. However, I can't dispute the fact that they look like one of the best teams in the nation um, when they played that game because they took an Izzo team that gave them everything they could handle and, and then some and beat them. They, they beat them. they beat them in the end, and, and that was an incredible game. That was And watching Izzo and Krzyzewski go at it one more time was really fun with the kind of rivalry they've had. So that was, I'm really glad uh, March Madness gave us that. Yeah, it really comes down to good O versus good D. I mean, Texas Tech is uh, ranked by Ken Palm as being one of the – best defenses in the in the or I guess in the country really um especially when you look at some of the opponents that they go over just offensive juggernauts in the in the big 12 um but outside of that um I would say that Duke you know Duke is just getting better and better they've got a lot of freshmen but they've got poise for for their freshman status and I would just expect them to keep playing well so I, I like Duke coming out of the um out of the final four bracket there I think you know they're already beating Gonzaga and they're actually a dangerous matchup for Gonzaga because they have explosive offense. That's something that Gonzaga has. And they just kind of got outpaced in that in that game back in, uh, I believe, like November, early December. So we'll have to stay tuned and, and see what's going on. Um, but, yeah, really excited for these matchups coming up this weekend. Maybe we do a quick MLB uh, update. We're going to save most of it for our um, opening, opening week. But Evan and I did have a few quick thoughts, I think, about Free agency. I don't know if you've been tracking Zach, so please feel free to jump in. But Evo, I'll, I'll let you have the stage first. Yeah, I kind of just wanted to go on the Braves, the Braves rant, um, and, and give come to the defense of the Braves for not re-signing Freddie Freeman. Um, obviously, I get a lot of the outrage from from fans coming off that World Series win for the Braves and what Freddie Freeman means to that organization. But if you break down the trade for Olsen, the contract details, like what the Braves did here is absolutely brilliant and it extends their window so much um, given that they got Olsen for a lot cheaper. Obviously they had to give up prospects, but none of the prospects they gave up are good. Christian Pache is the biggest name, but he is just not developed into what, what they hoped he would be. Um, so you get a younger guy for two more years on the contract for about like 10 million or so a year cheaper um, and a guy that actually, if you go off war, which I know side, not a huge advanced analytics guy, actually had a better year than Freddie last year. So I just think that was a brilliant move. Obviously, it's so hard. I think a lot of GMs make the mistake of kind of giving not even necessarily the hometown discount, but always extending like your big name kind of loyalty contract type thing. Um, so I think what the Braves did there was brilliant. Obviously, it's a shame, but like. And even if that's a small downgrade at the first base position, which it probably is for the next couple of years, like that lineup is so stacked, it's not going to matter. Um, and they were able to re-sign guys like Rosario, um, Marcelo Zuna coming back. Like they're just absolutely loaded once again. And I feel like they're not getting as much buzz as they they should. So I'll leave it at that with the Braves. A couple other free agents I'll mention, but Sai, I'll kick it over to you for any of your takes on, on some of the big shortstops that sign and some of the other big news. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to just say something about the Braves real quick. I think it was a smart business decision, and I could never blame Alex Andropoulos in that front office for um, really anything because they put together a team that won the World Series last year against all odds with the injuries they had and, and, and such. However, with that being said, I do think Freddie Freeman was a big part of that, and that's not just for his ability to hit and play first base, which is he is at the top, and I, I would say both of those things. Um, I would say it's also in large part due to his leadership. And he has been a brave since the moment he signed with Atlanta till the moment, you know, till now until he hit free agency. And I think on all indications, he would have loved to have come back to the Braves. If they're willing to pay him um, the contract, which he rightfully deserved. What the Dodgers gave him is what he deserved. Uh, Freddie Freeman has been a top five player in the MLB for the better part of a decade. Um, sure. If you look at war and I also want to clarify, I'm not against advanced analytics. I'm just against 
using only advanced analytics as a metric for players' um, abilities because war is not a perfect statistic by any chance. Uh, I made the point to have Brandon Nimmo was like a top 20 war player in his last full season. Like, do we actually think he's a top 20 player in the MLB? I'm a Mets fan, and I would say no. So I can't just use war as a, as a descriptive factor for what makes one player better than another. Um, and with that being said, Freddie Freeman, and I, I think few people would dispute this, has been one of the best players and one of the best leaders in the MLB for his entire career and just led this team to World Series and is still, at the, I would say, at the peak of his or has been playing to the peak of his career. And I don't fault them for getting Olsen, but it does seem like the way they handled it rubbed a lot of people the wrong way, including players on the Braves, including Freddie Freeman, including fans, and including people even outside of the organization. And my biggest qualm that I have with it is if you think the smart business move is to go with Olsen, and let me clarify, I think Olsen is an incredible first baseman, and I don't fault them for taking him. The proof is in the pudding, though, that with uh, Olsen's $189 million contract, they have the money necessary to re-sign Freeman, and clearly they preferred Olsen on a bit of a longer deal. But the thing is, if that is the case, they should have been way more transparent with Freddie Freeman because it looks like, for the most part, he was left out of the loop. And I understand you don't owe him anything, but when the guy has been with the organization since day one, he's been one of, like, this leader. He's been the guy that, like, this incredible family man that represent your, he represents your team so well. He helps you win a World Series when the cards are down. He deserves more respect than to have had it handled the way that I think it was handled. So although I think business-wise, maybe they made a smart move and um, they won't regret that. I do think they're going to be a very good team going forward. I think it was very um, just sort of holistically, like not totally fair to Freeman in the way they handled it. And that's reflective. That's reflected on how a lot of the players and uh, fans responded to it because they're not just saying it because they traded Freeman or because they let Freeman walk and traded Olsen. They're saying it because they felt like maybe they weren't as informed as they wish they would have been. So that's my, that's my take on the Braves. If you have anything to add to that, I'll let you, um, if not, I can, I can talk about, um, talk about some of the signings. Yeah, I'll just jump in real quick, too. Like, I mean, I think it was the intention of not even – like, there was no intention for him to resign. Like, it was – that was kind of the the vibe that Freeman was upset about. Like, his agent said that the Braves only called them twice um, and just kind of talked in more generic terms. Never really serious about signing him to this monster deal that he ended up getting in L.A., um, now, however, I will say it was a complete opposite story with Correa going to the uh, going to the Twins, and the Twins are loading up from free agency. I mean, I can't think of another like another year that the Twins have invested this amount this amount of money in some of these players. So, curious to see what you guys think about that signing, and, and maybe a couple others as well. Dude, what is Correa doing, and what are the Twins doing? That's my response to that one. Like, it makes absolutely no sense to me. Why take a three year contract, regardless of the opt out situation? And then why are the twins signing a hundred million dollar three-year deal when you're not going to come? I mean, I mean, this with no offense, but I don't see them coming out there winning a world series in, in that window. Um, it, it doesn't make sense. If you sign them long-term, maybe it makes more sense to me. Um, and to Correa, dude, what, I, I don't know. Like this is my perspective is Correa. Why are you taking a three-year deal when, okay, maybe the market didn't give you that um, massive deal that you were hoping for, but, like you just came off the greatest season that you could have had war wise. I don't think your peak is much higher than that. And instead of capitalizing on that and getting a long-term contract, even if maybe it's like, you know, 10 to 20 million less than what you would have hoped for. You take a three-year deal. What if you go out and you get injured again? What if you don't um, play up to your performance? I would have rather him sign a one-year deal for a higher AAV, which I guarantee you he could have gotten from one of these teams and then hit free agency again if he was going to do that, then sign a three-year deal, even if there's an opt-out, because he's getting less money um, as a result of it. The Correa one made no sense to me whatsoever. Um, that's my that's my take on it. I'll let Ev comment. Yeah, that one was uh, one of the more random free agency signings I'd seen in a while. I didn't hear much Correa to Twins buzz. I did hear Trevor's story to Twins buzz. Um, that one was a surprise, but I mean, more power to him. Like I fully expect him to opt out next year. I, I don't remember what the exact terms were, but I fully expect him to opt out next year and try it again, assuming he has a good year. Um, money to spend after they were able to ship off Donaldson, which I thought was a really nice move, but their pitching is just like, I have a feeling there are more pitching moves in the works and if they can get better pitching, then they could compete. But 
Yeah, it's a little random on the twin side as well, but that lineup can really hit. So um, I, I don't really know what the plan is there, but uh, we'll have to see. Um, but yeah, I fully expect Correa to opt out, assuming he has a good year, and then run it back next year. And the Orioles might even take a more a more competitive bid at him, even though the rumor is they offered him ten for three hundred. So let's take a chance next offseason. But uh, but yeah, and then Trevor Story. Trevor Story took a really really cheap deal. Um, yeah, what with, the heck. With Boston, I think it's an incredible fit for him. He can play second this year next to Bogarts. And then if the Red Sox want to move on from Bogarts next year when his contract's up, they can move Trevor back to short. Um, I think it's a great fit in Fenway. Um, happy for Trevor. Um, coming off a down year. And then the Coors effect probably hurts his market a little bit. But, um, yeah, we'll see. I think it's a great fit. I think he took less money than he needed to. But, I, you know, kind of to size point about Correa, like, you know, gives him some security. Um, given that he has some risk with the, with the down year and the, and the course effects. Yeah, I think the story contract was like one of the best deals of the offseason by a team. I think the Red Sox, like, I mean, I'm shook. Six years, 160 mil is around what he went for. I mean, Francisco Lindor's deal was a 341 mil. Uh, Corey Seager's deal was 325 mil. mil. Uh, what we just talked about, Correa, who had uh, who had over 100, 100 mil for a three-year deal. Simeon, I think, is making more money if not close to as much money as as uh um story and he's not even a shortstop like even if story's playing second base i'm actually really surprised by how little um story took but i think maybe he just really wanted to play in boston and saw an opportunity to compete although i don't blame story as much because i understand that contract he's getting six years um so at least he's like got a security for for that period of time um i'm just really confused because Corey seager's contract was 325 mil and Correa only took a three year 100 mil and Seeger a six year 160. Really confused by the market for shortstops, or, or I guess just the market in general. That, those deals don't make a whole lot of sense to me when I look at it holistically. But story to the Red Sox makes so much sense to me, and I'm happy for both sides. I think both both benefit from that deal. So that, I, I got no complaints about that. It's interesting because when you evaluate it from like a risk management perspective, right? Like Seager has the injury risk. Um, Seager has the maybe not a shortstop long-term risk. Correa, you know, maybe just doesn't have the upside. Like I would argue Trevor has the most upside out of these three guys, given the steals potential, um, the defense being able to stick at shortstop, like all those types of things and still having the power, depending on how it, how it comes off, not being a quarter. So a little bit surprised, but I mean, I'm not happy for Trevor because he's in our division now because I love Trevor, but, um, you know, good for him. I think I think it'd be a good fit. And we'll see what happens next offseason if, if they move him back to short, if, if Bogey moves on. But, you know, shortstop's such a deep position now. Like, every team has a good shortstop, it feels like. Um, you know, you think about it from a fantasy baseball perspective, it's so easy to find good shortstops. So, you know, I don't know. I just don't think there were a lot of openings. But uh, are the Dodgers the most stacked roster of all time? I mean, this is getting absurd. Definitely the most, definitely arguably the most stacked offense of all time. I think pitching wise, we've seen um, definitely better rotations. Um, I do think the Dodgers rotation is great, but I think their ceiling for the top guys isn't quite as high as the ceiling for the top guys of some other rotations. But do you want to talk about lineup? It's going to be hard, hard to argue with the exception of like, the old school Yankees lineups and it's hard to make that comparison. However, um, they don't seem to have a weakness in their entire lineup at their respective positions. So it's kind of ridiculous how good that team is. So here's what I'll say though. They didn't win the world series last year and they didn't really get better. I mean, they got slightly better in that Freddie Freeman is probably a slight upgrade over Corey Seager. And that's about it. I would say no, I think, Mookie, the same team. I think Mookie Betts is, is way better than he was last year. Uh, last Oof. year was an anomaly compared to his his career um, averages. I also think Cody Bellinger is better than he was last year. Um, I think some of the sure. I think some of those I think some of those players will rebound. I know for a fact Mookie is. I mean Mookie was an MVP just a few years ago. Um, last year was a bit of an anomaly. I think he was playing hurt for a decent bit of the season. I, I don't expect Mookie to to be that. I expect Mookie to be right back in the MVP race next year because he has been for pretty much every season he's been in except for last year. So. Um, just Mookie bouncing back and then getting Freddie Freeman as a part of a lineup that had guys like Will Smith uh, coming into their own. You got Muncie playing great. You got, you know, all the way – your worst hitter is A.J. Pollock, dude. Like, you could be in much worse situations. That lineup is nasty. For sure. We'll see how it plays out. Blue Jays are another team winning the offseason. That, that roster is straight up loaded. 
pitching, hitting, they got it all. Um, but uh, I think that's that's all I'll mention on baseball. All righty, I guess we can uh, move on to NFL, gentlemen. Um, we've been holding holding on to a massive trade that we haven't yet to discuss. Huge deal. Um, I know all three of us are super excited to talk about this, given the relevance of it, and that would be Devonte Adams. I've, I was I was going to try to get Zach all hyped up, but the real <laughs> the first the first one was definitely Devonte Adams. I saw that news uh, pretty soon after I got to New York, if not on the way over. I was absolutely blown away by that one um, for the for Aaron Rodgers to re-sign and then Devonte Adams to be traded out of Green Bay um, not, pretty soon after that. I'm really kind of blown away with that and it seems like it comes down to Adams just not wanting to be there and clearly the Raiders wanted him there and clearly he wanted to be with the Raiders given the massive extension that he got at the wide receiver position he's making I think 28 million dollars a year over the next seven years or something like that it was a crazy big contract but just wanted to get y'all's take on that I'm actually just blown away by that one for me, uh, it's it's pretty incredible because um, it's it's really strategic. It was a great strategic play by him and his agent because the Packers had unloaded that massive deal to Rodgers, which had kind of crippled them from issuing out another deal. Um, and so they franchise tagged Devontae Adams and he had already said, hey, I'm going to be steadfast and, and not playing for, you know, despite the fact that for one year under a franchise tag, you get paid the top average of, I think like the five individuals in your position, but he's the best in his position. So he was very steadfast in saying, I'm not going to play for the Packers this season. So, you know, based off of, you know, his successes, the last three seasons or so, the Raiders took a, a gamble. They went out and got their guy, a guy that honestly Derek Carr has deserved to get um, because of his successes the last couple of years. And uh, really excited to see what they're going to do in, in, uh, in Raider Nation and in, in Vegas especially in a division that is getting – that's just accumulating, you know, amazing players. You saw Cleo Mack go to the Chargers. Russ Wilson go to the Broncos. Uh, lots of re-signings. You saw Mike Williams get his big deal. And then, oh, by the way, you have the Kansas City Chiefs who just stacked up on Juju Smith. Um, they, you know, got a couple other receivers as well. So if you want to compete in that division, you got to go out and get your guy and pay him a lot of money. Now, I will say um, this does – this does pique my interest in that um, you saw the running back bubble, bubble kind of explode a couple of years ago, and now the running back position just frankly isn't very much prioritized, and you see that evidence through Zeke's contract. Um, it, it kind of makes you wonder, uh, is this going to happen with the wide receiver group? You know, you saw Christian Kirk's deal. You saw Devontae Adams' deal. Um, you know, these, these players are now getting paid 20-plus million a year, and I just can't help but think – the wide receiver market is going to hit a bubble sometime soon, but, uh, but I'll kick it over to you. Yeah, no, that, that trade was absolutely shocking. You know, I don't think any of us had heard any Devontae Adams trade rumors to begin with once he got the tag, much less to the Raiders, but um, it's pretty interesting. And obviously the initial reaction is like, wait, what happened behind the scenes here? Did they just like, did they just like pull a fast one on Aaron? Um, what's going on here? But I guess it looks like, obviously, like you mentioned, Devontae has a relationship with Derek Carr, has a house or something in Vegas. Clearly Vegas was his, his preferred destination. Um, and then they get the draft picks. So I guess the plan now is I expect them to draft two wide receivers with, you know, in the first couple of rounds um, and rebuild the receiving core with Aaron, who they have locked up for the next four years. So in that sense, it makes, uh, makes some sense. Um, but uh, and obviously Aaron would have had to, not necessarily sign off on it, but I guess be aware of it, um, given that Devontae had kind of asked out. So pretty interesting. But, uh, Zach, do you still think uh, the Raiders should blow it up? They pretty much I do not the anymore. I, mean, <laughs> I, I, I don't think – I do not anymore. I don't think either of us figured that uh, Devontae Adams was on the table when, when you made that take. But And getting Chandler Jones as well, obviously that's a replacement for Ngakwe, who they traded, but hopefully is a better fit for their defense. So – chaos out in the west just pure and under chaos here's the thing here's my hot take i still don't think the raiders are going to compete for the division title after making that move and even after signing chandler jones first of all thank you raiders for trading us in Glockway for like next to nothing like i like i mean not next to nothing rocky sin's a great player but next to nothing in the sense of us not having to give up any draft capital for a guy who's 27 and everywhere he's gone has been a terrific pass rusher 
I just don't understand why teams keep trying to get rid of him. I guess it's scheme. Um, I think was a point Ev made, but I feel so bad for that guy because he has been nothing but productive in his NFL career. I would argue one of the best pass rushers in the league, and he just keeps getting traded around. But I'm not complaining because the Colts have him, and hopefully it's a win-win for both teams. However, I still think when when the cards are on the table, there's two teams in that division that are um, that are better than the Raiders, and I definitely think the Chiefs are still the best team in that division, um, even after all the moves have been made. Uh, the Chargers look like they took a huge step up, even if the Raiders ma- um, made the playoffs last year, because they just made more moves. Um, you know, between the Khalil Mack acquisition, keeping um, Mike Williams extending their corner, I think they're just going to grow going forward. And I still think next to Patrick Mahomes, Justin Herbert's the next best player. And if Russell Wilson is like ninety percent of who he was two years ago, the Denver Broncos are also like a mean team in the sense of. And if, if we're being real here, if we're rating the quarterbacks in in that division, and I mean this with no disrespect to Derek Carr, and Ev might disagree, I still think Carr comes fourth. So um, it's it's a tough one. It's a tough one for the Raiders, but I will say the fact that Carr and Adams played together at Fresno State is kind of um, – it makes it too appealing not to take that when you can get the best receiver. But now they're giving 30 mil essentially a year to their wide receiver. I don't know what Carr's contract's going to be when he gets his extension or – whatever it is, but he's going to be making a ton of money. Darren Waller is going to deserve a lot of money when, when that comes around. So I don't really know how they're – and they, now they pay Chandler Jones a lot. So they're going to be an interesting cop position going forward. Um, and I still think there needs to be a few more improvements made for that team to, like, really win. Um, the flip side of that, though, is what on earth are the Packers going to do? Like, yeah, they can use their draft picks to get wide receivers, but if you're re-signing Aaron Rodgers and giving him over $150 million guaranteed and he's going to be playing for $200 million over the next four years, I think your goal is to win a championship. Otherwise, why would you do it? And then the flip side to that is you can't just give him rookie receivers. And I'm just so frustrated with the Packers organization holistically because you're you're the reason Adams wanted to leave. You're the reason Aaron Rodgers had all, all this animosity over his career. You literally used a first-round draft pick on Jordan Love the year that you had Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams ready to play football. And you did this to yourself. Like the Packers deserve so much flack for the way they've handled their organization, the way they've ostracized their own players and the way they haven't been able to put themselves in a position. And sure. Some of the players deserve flack for not, you know, showing up in the big moments in the playoffs and, and, and such. I'm not disputing that. However, I think if they were a little bit happier and you invested your draft resources a little bit better than, maybe they would have won. So um, I just wanted to say the Packers as a whole, um, I, I think they deserve a lot of flack for what's gone on over there. Even if they kept Rodgers, like they're in an increasingly worse position to to win not having Adams. And the thing is, it's not like there's any other free agent receivers left for them to pick up. So um, it's a really, really interesting position for them in the end. There's a team that I feel like has actually done it worse than the Packers, and that's the Washington uh, Commanders. Um, and I wanted to get Ev's take on this because they have deliberately lied to Matt Ioannidis about re-signing him. And then he was obviously vocal about that. And he's been instrumental for that team. They shopped Tim Settle to the Bills. Um, you know, they almost lost McKissick until he miraculously re-signed. But overall, I mean, you saw Allen Robinson and Robert Woods both get shuttled away to new teams. And they could have been perfect veteran presence for a Washington team that needs Frank, quite frankly, a possession receiver to open the field for Terry McLaurin. So, you know, if you really want to give Carson Wentz uh, targets and you want to be in this win now strategy, they had two phenomenal opportunities to get these receivers. You saw what Robert Woods went for. I mean, he's getting paid North of 10 million a year, but he went for like a sixth round pick. I mean, come on, Washington could have hundred percent forked over some cash. They're not crippled from a salary cap standpoint. They should have gotten that. They should have gotten their guy. They didn't, and uh, here they are, kind of with mediocrity at the at the wide receiver level. They also could have shopped the Aaron Payne, and uh, and they failed to do so. So they kind of have this steadfast line with no depth. I think Washington really bit the bullet on this one, but uh, curious to see your take out. Yeah, I'm gonna shred each of your takes. All of those were just <laughs> quite quite frankly dead wrong. So Matt Ioannidis was barely playable last year. Whether it was a scheme thing, maybe that's what a lot of people have said. He was barely playable last week, and he was a $7 million cap save. And in terms of the line to your face, I mean, I was telling this aside, like, things change in the NFL very quickly. And when you acquire $28 million in cap space, that's going to change how you need to approach your roster. So they told him 
right now we have no plans to cut you. Oh, and then we acquire a quarterback that takes up 20 million in a cap. Okay, we need to do something about this. And then they cut him. Like that's an eye roll for me on the agent's perspective. The McKissick thing, again, I think they had to clear cap to be able to make a contract offer. I think everyone was a little upset about that one. But I think the fact that he chose to stay with the commanders over a, like, maybe the Super Bowl favorite, like, you know, I think that says something about the team culture, um, the team culture, not the organization culture. I'll give you that. Um, Deron Payne, like, why trade him? I mean, he's an absolute stud. Um, if you're not going to get value for him, it just kind of is unnecessary to me. And the receivers. So Robert Woods is coming off a torn ACL that happened late in the year. So you're going to get him for what, the last half of the season, if that, and he's on an expiring deal, if I'm not mistaken. So Watching isn't going to win next year anyway. So why am I going to take on Robert Woods for half the season on an expiring contract? That just doesn't make sense. And then Allen Robinson was awful last year. And I mean, his contract wasn't bad, but like, I just not a guy I'm particularly interested in. I'd rather go the draft route. The Wentz deal looks worse now after what happened with Matt Ryan, who we've been waiting to talk about. Obviously, I think that was the, I was kind of trying to save the most relevant and the best for last Uh after this is so funny, we have a quarterback carousel going on amongst the three of us. After Ev <laughs> was like roasting the Colts for uh, for Wentz for a couple of weeks, there finally had to deal with the uh, um, deal with Wentz going over. Even though I initially didn't even want to trade Wentz, so it's like a really funny dichotomy because I'm sitting here defending Wentz and Ev's over there like, no, nah, Wentz isn't worth it. Then Wentz gets straight to Ev's team. I'm like, well, I guess. Um, Wentz is gone, but then I'm pretty happy with the deal because we get good assets out of it. Well, we get we get you know two picks and a and some cap space back as a result of trading Wentz, and then we move up with one of our picks too as a result of it, and we trade a pick over to the Skins, um, and then we trade one of those picks, a third round pick to Zach's team to get Matt Ryan back, who is now cheaper than um, Carson Wentz because the Falcons are absorbing forty million dollars of his deal, so we're paying him twenty four next year and 28 the year after because the restructure never happened that Zach was concerned was going to happen. So now the Colts have Matt Ryan. Um, I never thought that was a possibility because last year it didn't seem like it was a possibility at all given his contract. And in this year, I wasn't positive that they were even going to deal Matt Ryan because of their affinity for their, their quarterback who's been with them through thick and thin and just been a leader for them for so long. So I never thought that was a possibility. But then when they fall on the radar that that might be a possibility – I literally was like, this is perfect. Like, this is the guy that I want more than Garoppolo, more than Baker, more than any of the free agents, more than anyone available outside of Rodgers and Wilson, who clearly weren't on the table. Matt Ryan is the guy that I wanted. And I'm so, so, so happy it happened. I'll let you guys talk about it and circle back after you guys give me your thoughts. But um, just absorbing it the last couple of days, I am ecstatic we got Matt Ryan. Well, it goes to show um, the patience of Chris Ballard. I know you've mentioned, uh, you know, how much you've enjoyed his, his kind of like lean financial decision-making um, as he kind of, you know, uses the drawing board to strategically go after certain players without giving up a lot of draft picks and, and shelling out um, or agreeing to pay a ton of cap space. This is where, for me, as a neutral standpoint, I see what Chris Ballard is doing and so doing better than pretty much any other GM in the game because they, he was able to construct a deal where Washington has absorbed a, the majority of Carson Wentz uh, contract. All of and, and yep, exactly. And then doing so um, kind of taking advantage of the moment where Matt Ryan, you know, has, is a victim of, you know, multiple restructured deals. And now the Falcons find themselves with the most expensive dead cap of any NFL player in history. So um, what a great strategic move for the Colts to kind of sneak in. I know it wasn't perfect last year. It probably would have been better to get Matt Ryan over there a year earlier, but he still has um, some gas in the tank. He's going to be 36 years old. There have been clear, um, you know, uh, there's been a clear deterioration in his arm, but he's still one of the best play action guys in the game. And, uh, and he's going to be revolutionary for that offense. Now, there are also talks of the Colts potentially going after Julio Jones, who really has no market right now because he was overpaid substantially in Tennessee, um, started to deal with the injuries that long plagued him in Atlanta. And uh, he's actually getting solicited by, you know, 
um, your linebacker, whose his name is escaping me, but one of the best Eric linebackers. Sanders. Yep, exactly him and a lot of your other players as well to kind of like come back and play and not the Georgia Dome or the Mercedes-Benz Dome now, but let's go ahead and, and run this thing back in Lucas Oil Stadium. That would be really interesting for the Colts. But I, I think overall my take is Matt Ryan will, you know, kind of forever be my favorite player I've ever watched. Um, reason I'm a, I'm a big Falcons fan too. And, you know, nothing but the best for him. I think it's great for both parties um, in terms of Matt Ryan to go out late in his career. He's got now the infrastructure to potentially make a run, make a Super Bowl run. Um, and I think it also allows the Falcons to finally rebuild because let's be honest, we really had no idea what we were doing. We were just kicking the can down the road. And I know the trade was pretty awful. I mean, we only got a third round pick and a bag of chips out of it. And, uh, and I don't think you even got a bag of chips. Did you just get a third round pick? No chips. <laughs> no, they, no, somebody, somebody yeah, we can't afford it because we paid 40 million of his contract this year. But uh, overall, I think that that puts our, our sales out right. And we have a new GM. So, you know, the GM was not tied to Matt Ryan in any way, shape or form. And so hats off to Chris Ballard for taking advantage of the moment, not over investing in prior years and getting their guy when when it mattered most. I um, what I will say one thing, and I want to let Ev give his take, but um, one of the funniest comments that I saw is I think the Falcons got more back from Mohamed Sanu than they did for Matt Ryan, which was like the funniest, like one of the funniest things that I saw when I, when I saw that initially, because I think you guys got like two picks from Mohamed Sanu or something like that. So yeah, we got a second rounder for him, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's so mind-boggling to me. Go ahead, e. Um. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to take a slightly, not necessarily contrarian. I mean, it, definitely a good deal. Obviously, you basically gave up nothing. When you think about before the Wentz trade, obviously, it was just one of those picks that you gave up. I think he was the guy to get. I was surprised, like you said, Sai, that, you know, you thought it wasn't really a possibility. I was surprised that was the case because it just seemed to make so much sense. Um, given that, I think it was obvious that the Falcons and, and Matt Ryan, it was time to move on from each other. You know, given that the Falcons need to go to more of a rebuilding mode and that, yeah, the Colts could use a guy like that. Um, yeah, it's a good contract. You can cut him after this year if it doesn't work um, for no dead cap. But, I mean, I don't know. The It seems like everyone has forgotten that Matt Ryan looks washed. And, obviously, the Atlanta situation was awful, like bad line, no running game, no receivers. But, like, no arm strength, no mobility, like – I don't know. I mean, of the quarterbacks that were available, like you look at numbers last year, he was the worst of the bunch. I would argue Jimmy G is the best of the bunch. Now, granted, he probably would have cost more in the shoulder surgery is a bit of a situation. But like, um, I mean, I think it's a good deal. I think it was the right guy to go get. Didn't give up basically anything for him. Contract's not bad. So overall good, but it's just kind of like, okay, you guys have a quarterback now. Great. And that's, and it reminds me kind of of the Phillip Rivers situation. So that's the point that I was going to make. So um, first and foremost, Jimmy G also had a solid offensive line, a great run game, and Debo Samuel and George Kittle to throw the ball to every, every week. So obviously his numbers are going to be better in a game manager position with Kyle Shanahan as his head coach, which, by the way, was the offensive coordinator of Matt Ryan when he won his MVP. So clearly the odds are stocked against Matt Ryan compared to Jimmy G. And, yes, Jimmy G is younger and probably has the bigger arm. I also think people are overblowing, some people are overblowing how much Matt Ryan's arm has gone because if you really want to put it that way, the Colts made the playoffs and almost beat the Bills two years ago with Philip Rivers um, as our quarterback. And I promise you, I watched every game Philip Rivers played, including the playoffs that year. There is no way Matt Ryan is um, even close to as bad in the sense of having lost arm strength and having lost mobility to the level of Philip Rivers. That dude could not take a step to the right in the pocket. And that dude could not throw the ball more than five yards down the field without, without having to put his entire body into it. Yes, Matt, arm, Matt Ryan's arm is deteriorated, but he is literally the anti-Carson Wentz. Like he does the absolute, absolute opposite of Carson Wentz. He does not have the ceiling of, to be able to make those big throws that maybe he did earlier in his career, but he can still complete passes within that 20 to 30 yard window with consistency and he can move the ball down the field. He can use play action with Jonathan Taylor. And in his entire career of playing with the Falcons, he has never been in a position where he's had a terrific offensive line and one of the best running backs in the NFL running the ball where he doesn't have to throw for like 5,000 yards and like 30 touchdowns for that team to be relevant. He has never had that. 
And he's also never had more than a barely above average defense. And the only year he did, they went to the Super Bowl. So in every way, Matt Ryan is in a better position. The only thing I will argue is he had a better receiving situation in Atlanta for most of his career than he's currently walking into. However, we're not going to expect him again to make crazy throws. And I do think we'll sign somewhere else. I think he was the perfect guy for us because we didn't have to give up a lot for him either. And even if we got Jimmy, his contract was up at the end of the year. So we would have had to pay more for a rental and then have to pay him money to resign. And I didn't want Jimmy G as my long-term quarterback. So I'd rather take Ryan and plan for the future through the draft or through other avenues. So I have no complaints about that. The challenge I'll make to you is that uh, the Colts, again, I've said this on the last two podcasts, but the Colts, you said great offensive line. They were bottom 10 in pass blocking offensive line last year, and they currently don't have a left tackle, which will change with the cap space. But um, And there's no receiver other than Pittman. There's no receivers there. So they got a lot to fix still, which I anticipate they will. But um, I don't know. And, like, do you really want Matt Ryan next year as well? Like, I don't know. I, I would hope that you would maybe have some ideas on a long-term solution. But I think I think I I think I would for now. I mean, unless we find somebody in the draft this year in the second round that um, that comes through. But I will say this, though, like I'm not like I'm the reason I think part of the reason our offensive line got so much flack for pass blocking is because we were run first offense. And we had Carson Wentz as our quarterback, bro. Like that dude holds the ball longer than anybody else. So does Matt Ryan. Matt Ryan is uh, notorious yes. for holding the ball. He he, ha- he is notorious for holding the ball because before he had no run game. Like, this is the point that I'm trying to make. Like, he now he can get off play action much quicker and get rid of the ball. He's a veteran, dude. He knows how to adjust. Like, Frank Reich took Philip Rivers a year after Philip Rivers did nothing but throw interceptions for the Chargers and won 11 games with them and went to the playoffs. He took Carson Wentz, who was absolutely terrible and made him halfway decent even if we didn't make the playoffs when he didn't have an offseason of practice since Kyle Shanahan this is the best situation Ryan's walking into in terms of head coaching as well so I'm, I'm happy about that the one last rebuttal I want to make is um, off air um, we had a little conversation on group me and I'll get Zach's comments on this but Ev was mentioning how you know obviously I'm high on Chris Ballard and I think a lot of people in the industry are high on Chris Ballard and Frank Reich but Ev was saying, you know, they deserve criticism, like they get too much credit for, and I'll let him word it however he wants to, but basically for not having been um, very competitive over the, or I don't even know what the wording was, but basically over the last four to five years, having not won a playoff game. And it gave me a little time to kind of digest. And I thought to myself, like, I don't even understand how, as Colts fans, we can be ungrateful for those two guys. Because Andrew Luck retires one week before a season starts. We have won more games than we have lost every single season except for the year after he loses. In that time frame, Chris Ballard drafts Jonathan Taylor, Darius Leonard, Quentin Nelson, Braden Smith, Michael Pittman, and more. Four of those guys are all pro, all pro players. He completely reconstructs our roster. He puts us in a position to win, and the hardest position to address is the one of the quarterback. And obviously, you're not just going to when your team is winning, you're not going to have a top 10 pick to be able to draft a quarterback. And then you have to take a shot, which we did with Wentz. It didn't work. And clearly we learned our lesson, moved on from him immediately. You guys took on his contract, gave us multiple picks. We used one of those picks to get Matt Ryan back. So basically we've got a better quarterback for our situation who is making less money, who's a veteran, and now have an additional pick as a result of that. So we corrected our mistake from prior. And then going forward, we are in a much better position to win football, and we still have more cap space than the majority of the league, even after taking on Matt Ryan's contract. I just don't – like, I don't understand how people can be ungrateful because, yeah, we haven't won playoff games, so to speak, but we've also been in a position where we've built a team that has sustained success and the ability to win going forward. And I'm so tired of Colts fans complaining that we're not spending money in free agency because I'm like – I'm so tired of people wanting us to be a team of the past where we'd spend like $40 million on – some guy that's like 40 and then he'd come and do nothing for us. And then we'd be stuck in a terrible cap situation and not prioritizing things that we need. I, we are, we are so lucky and we should be so grateful for the guys that we have. That's my take. I will say the one, I agree with you, Cy, but I would say the play devil's advocate, it's gotta be frustrating to be a Colts fan and go through six quarterbacks in six years. I mean, even dating back to Tolsey and after, uh, after luck. So you know, the good thing is the Colts have set themselves. They've kind of built the infrastructure for them to be in win-now mode. And so why not bring in a veteran? And I think Matt Ryan personally meshes 
the best with your offense and your offensive scheme, um, as well as the personnel. I mean, Matt Ryan, you know, was at his best when he had Michael Turner and Devonta Freeman in their prime. Jonathan Taylor is better than both of them, which is just crazy to say, considering both of them were our ring of honor guys for sure. And um, on top of that, I mean, the line is, I think Ev is kind of bashing the offensive line a lot. There were injuries last year. And also, you know, Carson Wentz is infamous for holding the ball way longer than any other quarterback. Matt Ryan brings a veteran presence. He's great off the play action. He's great off of mid throws. I mean, a lot of the times Carson Wentz is looking for that deep ball throw, that 60-yard pass that's going to magically bring the Colts back into a game or alleviate them out of whatever jam they're in. Matt Ryan's not that guy. He's going to get you, um, you know, he's going to put the ball right on the money, um, right in between the shoulder pads, 20 to 30 yards out. And I think he's really going to set your offense up to do some successful things. Plus, it's going to be interesting to see if you guys bring Hilton back because T.Y., you know, with that offense could be uh, could be very interesting. Matt Ryan so, got the ball faster than anybody in the NFL last year, by the way, if you want to go look up the statistic. But go ahead, E. Just to back up on the offensive line, the stats I'm referencing are win rates, which has nothing to do with the quarterback holding on the ball. It's completely just offensive line winning their matchups. Um, and back to my point about the Colts more broadly, I, I actually never criticized Ballard. I think Ballard's done a tremendous job um, building that team. I did say he shouldn't be getting praised for this Ryan move when it's his mess that got him into this situation by giving up a first and a third for Wentz, which wasted a season. Um, although I think he wanted him and Reich wanted to keep him. But my whole point is like, all right, especially like Frank Reich and like, it's like, prove it. You've been talking for five years about how Ballard's built this amazing organization, which I don't disagree with. He's done a tremendous job. Um, so if the excuses are going to run out. The luck excuse I'm done with because it was like five years ago. Um, like someone's going to have to be blamed if you don't start winning now is my point. Someone's sure. going to have to be blamed. So Sure. Sure. I, I won't dispute that. I think, I think, Hopefully Ryan can. And just to make sure we're on the same page, Ev, like you agree with Sinai's assessment that Indianapolis is the clear favorite in the AFC South next season, or do you still think what? is the edge? I think Indianapolis hundred percent is. That is a wild take. Why? I think, wild, I think that player take. is going to make a totality difference. Do you realize how big the gap was between those two teams last season and Derek Henry is out for the whole year? That I mean, a, I think I think the Tennessee Titans have a clear defensive issue. They were, they I mean, Mike Rabel's a defensive-minded guy, but list their person. Did you watch? Guys. Did you watch football last year, Seth? Yeah, look, the, the Titans played a lot of their competition. They just had a couple of bad losses here and there. The Titans and they had just like got a, a top veteran QB and presence. I think they're going to be just fine. The Titans had like yeah. a top five defense last year. No, 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 no. Let me let me clarify yeah. something. I don't think we're the. I don't think we're a clear favorite. But to say that some people think we're a favorite, I don't think it's some crazy anomaly. I mean, I mean, one seed to a team that didn't make the playoffs is a pretty big gap in my book. It's. I, I won't dispute it when you when when you put it when you frame it in the sense of win win losses <laughs> Wins and losses. But when, you, but when you yeah, as of last year, given the circumstances of the teams, I, I won't dispute that. But I will also say when you look at personnel going into this year and the situation we're in versus the situation we were in last year, having a veteran and having been more established and coming in with a guy that's actually going to be at OTAs and practicing in the offseason, I think you're going to see a big difference. Also, I think Ryan Tannehill has proven that his contract is not worth it. He's extremely overrated and that he's not going to win a Super Bowl with the Titans. No disrespect to the organization, but let's let's not pretend like that's not the case. I, I know we went on a big rant about, about the uh, – Colts, Commanders, Falcon situation, but at, with that carousel, I think it was about time that we uh, we we had an, another another little one of those. But what a what a conversation, guys! This free agency, this has been. I think I said it last week, and I'll say it again. This has been one of the most epic, if not the most epic, free agencies I've ever seen in in my lifespan. Because usually NFL free agency isn't to this level of craziness the way some others are. And oh boy, like. It's this one blew everything else out the water with the movement. It's crazy, guys. I'm I'm super excited for next season. All these teams are going to look a whole lot different, and it's going to make for a really exciting situation. So um, that's all I got. We'll go ahead and close this one out. Um, you know, first of all, thank you guys for liking and subscribing and commenting on our videos. We really appreciate it, and we've noticed an uptick over the last couple of weeks. So really appreciate your support, whether it's Spotify or YouTube. Um, if you want to get on and, and uh, get on, you know, have these have these quarterback carousel debates or really anything that we discuss, 
um, give us a shout. We'll get you on the, on the podcast and we'd be more than happy to have you. Um, before I close out and uh, let these guys maybe sign us off, I uh, wanted to just kind of bring up one bad beat that I saw in the MMA community. Really bad look, actually. Uh, Jorge Masvidal trying to uh, seeking out um, Colby Covington in a Miami restaurant and trying to fight him on site after he got waxed for five straight rounds in the octagon. So apparently, you know, it's still not settled, which makes sense because they uh, they certainly have strong personalities. For her, for, but for him to get completely dominated in the octagon and then find out through social media via the Nelk boys that Colby Covington was eating dinner in a restaurant in Miami and then he brings his crew and tries to fight him. Thank God that didn't happen, but it did come at the expense of who I believe is an innocent person who got his teeth punched out. So at this point in time, uh, Jorge Masvidal is wanted for a felony in battery. So stay tuned. Uh, don't fight your friends. Don't fight random people on the streets. If you can do that, um, you'll be just fine this week. Uh, outside of that bad beat, uh, sign us off, guys.